Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live with the Beckons of Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure. The Lords. And the adventure. Wait, no. Yeah, no. The quest. Yeah, the quest. Salvation. Don't mind me. I'm here for it. Uh, the last episode of the show, uh, Norhill uh, apparently became a knight, only so he could lose it by getting into quite the heated debate with the Queen Alvir herself. Uh, yeah, the party is uh, trying to recover from the guilt they felt for having left the slaves on their trail heading imaginably south to the Halls of Silver and Steel to the Dwarven homelands, now conquered by the Durgar. Uh, and so at this point in time, the party are being kicked out of the Queen's comfy home uh, and Norhill had just broken his knightly oath. Um, yeah, so I guess the party had gotten all their stuff given to them by Jaden, um, the knight guy there. And you guys basically got led out of the castle gate and you stand there in the middle of the early evening uh, directly outside of the castle grounds in the city of Eagleheart. So what does the party want to do now? Y'all got your horses too. Don't forget that. What time were we supposed to meet up? based off the letter we got meet up with who oh yeah i forgot to mention that you guys got a mysterious letter from the king from Ascabellum, but he mentioned that it was just whenever the time was right which i think the implication everybody got from that was after all this stuff had kind of settled down and there was a bit of a time of peace things weren't urgent i don't know if there will be a time of peace <laughs> Well, I guess we could just throw the letter away then. <laughs> Damn. Like, we're here to speak with the king. Like, oh, yeah? On whose word? Like, well, we had a letter, but we got rid of it because it was stupid. <laughs> we had philosophical differences with the letter. It sounded like fake news to me, so it's gone. I'm of Pete. What a privileged thing to say. Must be nice living on your island there, Mr. Ponytail. He's got a You don't know that yet, but he does. What would be our next best move? I'm like, we could go to the halls of silver and steel and investigate what's going on. I'm imagining Norhill after being fired up from his argument with the queen, especially after all the things that have been said, just a quick refresher of all the things that were said there. She said a lot about how his home was gone and he was just about probably the last dwarf and that abandoning his home here and basically spitting in the face of the queen's quote unquote hospitality there 
uh, was making him certainly a dwarvish vagabond in a land that no longer recognized him. So there may be a bit of an extra push from Norhill since his patience before was probably all hinged on the queen helping out. And now that the queen's saying she's not helping, I don't know if Norhill would be like, well, guess I'll just sit down right here and call it the day. Or if he'd be like, I guess it's my job. Yeah, so uh, with, with you know, what Anton says, Norhill is just going to check the angle of the sun. Um, yeah, uh, uh, sort of gauge how, how much time we have left until full dark. You guys probably got like three hours. Spring's on its way in. It's been like a, like a few days of springtime already, so you can tell that the days are getting a little bit longer. Not much, but enough. Well, for now, I rest. In the morning, I march. Okay. Um, do we want to maybe see if we could track down um, <sighs> where did I put his name? The two people that used to be with the eyes of Felior. Not to say uh, and her brother. Oh, Obroth? Oh, it was Obroth? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, do we want to see if we can track down um, Obroth and Antaseya? Maybe they'll be able to help us. I know they're trying to get their whole 100-year monk order thing started, but maybe maybe they'll give us some bodies that'll travel with us. From what you guys heard, they were going up to the South Watch on the river, and that the queen, out of thanks to them for giving the information, uh, she basically granted them the property on the queen's order. Oh, I didn't get any property. Wait, who needed the property? <laughs> no, I just said I didn't get any property. You know how much shit we've done? Maybe. Well, info gets you property. I mean, she did give them a smelly, dank castle that's all run down, full of dead bodies and ghosts. So, I mean, I don't really know how much it was a gift, so much as a task. Did but, you say ghosts? I mean, you guys were there. What do you want from me? You had your chance. <laughs> <laughs> Going back, side quest. I missed that. But now that the uh, season is a lot more formidable for travel, traveling down to the Dwarvish Lands... Uh, in the south won't be as difficult, uh, especially now that you guys have horses. But it does ring in Norhill's mind that getting into this place is going to be a bit of a trial itself. It is not exactly going to be a walk through the main gates. Um, but, yeah. We, if we, what about the health of the halflings? What about the halflings? I know they, after our quest earlier, with the assistance of catching that one vagabond whose name escapes me, they always mentioned we could find help with their people. I don't know if they are on the way to the land yeah. of the dwarves. Quarrydale is directly adjacent to the dwarvish lands. It's right above it on the coast. Um, but asking them to go into, as the queen so lovingly put it, into the uh, Dwarvish mausoleum, as it is, the Dwarvish crypt. Uh, I don't know that they're willing to have that be the offer they get, you know, asked to go upon. Well, there's, well, it'll be more on the way. If I was going to go directly into the valley, I'd have to go in through the front gates. 
and those are the most well-defended well, parts of the halls. I'm saying that that's going to be the most direct route, but there are other ways to get in. If somebody's living within the Dwarvish halls and they're using the fresh water and they're using like the toilets and the trash and everything like that, water is getting out of there as well. Meaning that there's got to be some sort of sewer. And if anybody's using any of the furnaces to warm the place or to use the forges, the chimneys must be open as well. Mm -hmm. But there's a thousand other ways in. So I'm not against making a side route to visit the small folk. Perhaps they know some side passage or secondary entrance that we could use that they won't expect. Um, and I will say this much, just culturally speaking, if there are gnomes or halflings who know about that sort of thing, I don't believe they're going to be going and speaking it to you guys. Um, and it sure, certainly won't be the kind of thing that your little friends would know about off the top of their head. So we might be on our own on this I was going to investigation. say, I would imagine Norhill being the way he is and trying to find any way to get in at this point, he would know that because the last information he got before going on this adventure in the first place was that the place was completely locked down with nobody coming in or going out, he was under the impression that all ways in would be locked off. So now that he knows people are coming in and coming out and living in there, there's tons of avenues to get in. And even if that means going in there just to do reconnaissance, I mean, it's a mega structure in there. So being able to get in and be relatively unseen is not outside of the realm of possibility for Norhill, especially because, you know, he'd lived for decades within the place. So it does seem like you'd know your way around some of the quarters and districts within. No matter what, I'll find, I'll find a way, whether I have to crawl down a smokestack. That's terrifying. But you know, Brunor got into Mithril Hall. There's ways in, man. So if that is our plan, are we staying in an inn for the night or camping out? Well, especially because you guys, uh, as far as things go, had been knighted that morning and nobody knows about what occurred just earlier. You guys are local celebrities and a beacon of hope for the people of the area. So staying at an inn, staying in somebody's house, it's all the same to the people of the town, or the city rather, so seems like you'd probably be in pretty good luck to get, you know, some sort of hospitality anywhere. But news will reach them eventually. Uh, we should find an inn near to the gates where we can leave quickly. Alrighty. And so that the uh, inn closest to the stables where you guys can drop your horses off, you get there by about sundown and you can see the sun, uh, you know, resting on the waters of the sea. Uh, and you guys see a really beautiful sunset, especially now that much warmer winds are coming in off the coast. It's something beautiful to behold, but across the water, you know, lays the lands of Ascabellum, and behind you, where, you know, darkness is most fully there, uh, you guys recognize that there's probably an entire army marching this way in some way, shape, or form. So all the peace that you guys find entering in the, uh, tavern of the Dusty Trail, uh, it's the peace that you have in here is short-lived and lasts as long in you guys' memory as the sunset. But just as I had said before, you guys are treated to not only free meals and warm beds in some of the fancier rooms of the place, but you guys are also given sort of a hero's welcome and offered all the services of having weapons cleaned, armor cleaned and fixed and whatnot, clothes tailored and all that jazz. So people are more than happy to treat you uh, in this place as heroes that you are. 
Such nice hospitality. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Such that, generous people. That shirt doesn't need to be patched up. It's fine. It's fine. It's meant to be holy. That's my religious shirt. <laughs> but okay, that jokes aside, everybody manages to sleep easily that night. Um, and I imagine everybody gets their own chambers, unless anybody wanted to double up for any particular reason. Not really. Okay. Norhill, I will say that as the wind comes in off the coast, you notice as you're awakened at the first crack of dawn, a strange sort of clattering on the windows to the uh, in, uh, on the on the windows to your room, as you notice some of the... Um, what do they call them? The window uh, panes there. The uh, uh, what do they call them? Shutters. Shutters. Yeah, the shutters. As one of the shutters comes slapping against the window, and smacks into the glass and cracks it and chips a whole like fragment of glass out perfectly. And for a split second, as you're leaping out of bed, getting ready to go kick some butt, the wind whistling through the glass of the window seems to hauntingly call to you in a way that you haven't heard in many months now as your name is pronounced with a proper dwarfish inflection. But just as soon as it comes in and blows back out, you see as the curtains go flapping with the wind, you think perhaps it is just the anxiety and fear of having to head back to the dwarfish hall that seems to be maybe playing tricks on you. Yeah, uh, Norhill's gonna relatch the shutters and make sure they're closed up good and tight. Um, but I don't imagine he's getting back to sleep after that. So he's going to be downstairs, have had breakfast, and be ready to go probably by the time the next person comes down. I'll say this much, too. It's almost hauntingly at the perfect time that you would normally wake up that this happens, almost as if, like, something was greeting you as you awoke. But with that, I imagine the rest of the party wakes in a similar fashion, probably within the next hour or so. And you guys are downstairs are greeted to warmed sausages as well as eggs and whatnot. Um, the innkeeper asks if you're going to be heading out as he knows that you parked your little horsies in the stable. Wanted to know if you guys were going to be heading out soon or not. Presently, yes. And with that, he offers everybody two rations worth of smoked meats to take along on the journey. Mm, thank you. And so with that, he says, uh, in his wonderful tavernish inflections, he says, you are all going to do a lot of good out there. And we all have a lot of faith that you're going to do us all right. We thank you for your hope. <laughs> he says, have ye no faith? <laughs> uh, I think before heading out to, Kliga wants to drop off a letter for the queen that she wrote. So, she sure, I mean, you can you can have a courier from the inn go run it over. Perfect. Okay. What is exactly uh, written on this note? Uh, just uh, kind of like a follow up from last time where she was explaining stuff from uh, what she found out in Dustwind and all that stuff, and also just like asking the queen to. Uh, find forgiveness in her heart for Nora Hill and his actions just saying like you know if you were in the same situation I'm sure you would have acted similarly but um, she hopes that or Kleeka hopes that we can all remain on good terms and that um, she just 
hopes that everything goes well for the queen while we're gone. Very well. And so with that party hopping on horses, which have been brushed, cleaned, and all the saddles and everything have been tightened properly to fit, the party are free to leave as they please. So what's the plan for the party at this point? Are we heading in the direction of Dustwind as well as Coradale and the uh, mountains to the south? Or were there other plans? Uh, so Norhill would like us to head south into Dustwind uh, for you know rest and resupply from the road. Okay. And then uh, which hall on the map is the Silverstein Hall? That would be the one on the left. Uh, is entitled, uh, and the hall is known formally to the dwarves as Garrod Moore. Okay, yeah. So from Dustwind, then uh, we'll take the road. You know, the same road that we took to get to the Elvenwood. Mm -hmm. Again, for a little while before turning south over rough terrain, and you know, trying to head up into the mountains from an angle. Okay. Okay. So just kind of trying to skirt past all the possible uh, uh, stops you might have on the road. Yeah, definitely. And to, you know, maybe get in through like an aqueduct or a smokestack or something. Roger. All right. And so with that, I'm going to need a little travel montage from the party, unless you guys wanted to pick up supplies. Uh, about how long is it going to take us to get there? Uh, it's looking like it's going to be about four days to Dustwind, unless you guys want to push it. It can take three. Uh, no, I think I have everything I need. Okay. And uh, you guys, being where you are, you could just hire another courier to go pick up supplies and bring them back if you wanted to. That's fancy. But I'm good. <laughs> and so with that, can I get some improv? A little bit of travel time. Is the party going to be pushing it for four days? or I mean, pushing it for three days or going a typical speed for four? Uh, Norhill doesn't, I mean, hmm, as much as he would want to, Norhill would rather arrive fresh than haggard. Yeah. Roger, Roger. So, all right, dudes and dudette, would you guys like to give me some fresh improv travel stuffs? Because it's early spring and the warmth is starting to return to the ground, a lot of the snow melted a while ago, so the ground is kind of mushy and muddy. Um, but fresh grasses are appearing on the trails as you guys head down across the Karatos Mountains to the south. Um, small grasses and stuff seem to be returning to their greenish color, and you guys can see some wildflowers beginning to peep out of the grasses as you travel through. You guys um it's not gonna seem like terrible travels and it seems like you guys are gonna have some pretty clear skies for the majority of your trip down so who would like to begin so at some point norhill would like to re-encounter one of the little you know like norhill was here sigils <laughs> that he's been leaving around roger and okay. he's gonna add um that day's date to it and say, yeah, on this date, Norhill went home. Dang. Alrighty. And I will say this much, that as you pass by, apparently somebody wrote on there in that same spot, another Dwarvish sigil. It's not the same one as yours. It's not the same sort of penmanship of sigil, but somebody wrote another one on there as well in the Dwarvish script. And it's basically just wishing like safe travel back. 
It's like highway truckers, but dwarf truckers, they're like hitting on back there, buddy. <laughs> Hammerstone hitting on back. <laughs> it's like, Hammerstone, come on, on back now. <laughs> oh, this elven ducky calling on back to Hammerstone. Hammer back, man. <laughs> All right. Anywho, what does everybody else got for me? Nothing happens on the travels for anybody else. No spooky bug talk. No clique of being emotional about stuff. Uh, Jarzak would like to uh, pick a couple flowers. Okay. Uh, granted, they're only little tiny ones that bud very quickly and very early. So, he, yeah, he, he doesn't really understand the, the pretty from the not. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, a couple might just be weeds. That's fine. Uh, it, he's going to bundle them together uh, with one of his rations and bring them to Anton and just uh, I, I just wanted to apologize for offending you. Uh, it, it, this is for your swordsman, dude, that you I sometimes see you leave food for him. I don't, I don't know if you leave food here, but uh, uh, I'm sorry. Well, because you guys would be traveling through the Force of the Wandering Swordsman for the first like day of the trip, you could say you did it then. Okay. Yeah, well, Anton just gives him a pat on the back. He says, you are forgiven, my friend. You're more than welcome to leave rations for the swordsman. No, no, no I'll, 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 I'll leave that to, to you, but you, you can give him one of mine. Just hoping the swordsman doesn't kick your ass when he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's not even he's just gonna beat you up. Uh, and then yeah, Dan, like I messaged you that rations poisoned. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Watering swordsman just <laughs> ghost poison. <laughs> Ecto poison. But okay. Yeah. You had to continue that conversation. Anton leaves the rations and he says, I I do feel the words I spoke last were a bit rash. It, um, uh, honestly, <laughs> Anton, it was a little, it was a little scary. I thought I was gonna, you know, end, end up as part of the light or something. There are many things I still have to learn about my faith. I have been following the light for almost 50 years now very long time my age, but there is still much for me to learn, and I must learn patience and temperance and acceptance of those of any level of loving the light. Damn. And I cannot be so prejudiced of who and who cannot follow it. Yeah, I mean, zero so want to apologize for that. Of the light is still a decree of loving the light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Anton, just to, as he's kind of saying, so he does, he, he does say, he's like, well, I must ask, I do not know much of the Orcish lands and what brought you to be a follower of Deceiver? Man, look at the time. <laughs> <laughs> like we just woke up. As you might have noticed, I'm not the not the strongest of orcs and uh, power is everything over there. 
<laughs> Do you ever hope to return? When I'm strong enough. When will that take? I was going to say, I imagine there's a lot of menacing tone that comes across in that statement. Probably not even making eye contact with Anton as that comes out. <laughs> Just like, when I'm ready. I don't, I don't know. I know it's not right now, though. Well, I don't know much about that type of strength. I only hope it doesn't put you in a place where you didn't expect. Power can seem one thing when you don't have it, but once you do, it can lead to other paths. I don't know if the type of power you're obtaining will help you in your quest. We're all just like aware that he's evil now. It's it's completely on the table and everybody's just like, you know, buddy, we're worried for you, but you have autonomy, but like... <laughs> So uh, be careful. So, like, so yeah, uh, shank me talk going on around here. Jerzak, be careful, but if you keep taking out these bad guys with us, it's okay. Yeah, there you go. That's the lawful good. It's like you still serve a purpose. <laughs> ah, man. It's like lawful evil. It's one of the weirdest alignments. But when you basically are like, I'll tolerate good people because they're dumb enough to heal me. Like, <laughs> suckers. There you go. But anyway. All right, does Kleek have anything rad going on on this trip? Uh, I think while we're traveling, um, one of the days I'd like to come across some sort of, or I'd like for us to ex- come across like some sort of large animal migration or something like that, showing that life is sort of returning to this area after the winter and um, things are coming back and all that stuff. Things are returning to where they belong. Okay, that's fair. I'll say that there's a point in time when you guys are passing through uh, quite a thicket of trees over by the uh, west side of the Akeratos Mountains. And as you guys are passing by quite the strong stream that the bridge, uh, that like the uh, road bridges over, downstream you can see that there's a small family of black bears that are catching some fishies in the water. A little black bear is kind of tumbling and rolling about behind the big mama bear that seems to be scooting and nuzzling them to keep at the water. And I'll say this much too, that on like the third day, by the end of the day, as you guys are about to set up camp, there appears to be, as like the sun's beginning to set, you guys can tell that gray clouds begin to sort of uh, adorn the horizon and they look to be like menacingly dark and cold. Um, But as night begins to fall even more so, a strangely strong gust of wind comes from the east by the mountainside and blows much of the gray clouds farther west. And it seems like the sky clears up in about an hour's time, if anything, and leaves you guys with a mildly chilly evening, but one that definitely feels like the wetness in the air, that humidity feels like it would have been a downpour and you guys would have been caught straight straight in the middle of it before reaching the sands of dust wind. So it feels odd that something may have like intervened in some way about that, but fair enough. By the fourth day, you guys were planning on stopping in Dustwind, or did you want to continue south to the Dwarven lands? 
probably want to stop and grab some rations and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, so on the fourth day, as you guys travel past that big intersection you guys had been at so very long ago, um, as you guys begin to return to the city of Dustwind, Kleeka, upon entering the warmth in the sands, you feel your dagger at your belt begin to warm up and vibrate a little bit as you enter the sands, as if something seems to notice that you're coming closer or something like that. And as you guys begin to enter in the sands, you guys uh, are going to have to give me a perception check. Nine. Nine. Six. Oh, eight. I have the plus two. What do you got, Anthony? Oh, nine. No, 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 Anton, not Anthony. Well, see, that's the problem with Anton with a guy named Anthony around. Fifteen. Roger. So Anton's the only one who notices, but one of the bluffs of sand that you guys are going by here, of course, with the rocks and the brush and everything, as you guys are walking towards it and riding on your little horses on the way, uh, Anton notices a strange gust of wind seems to like cause the, the drift on the sand to flap a little bit as if canvas is flapping instead of sand moving or anything like that. And all too soon, Anton notices that there's actually a group of about six people over here and they seem to be all hidden in like this brutally awesome camouflage on the little sandy bluff about 50 feet uphill from you guys. Um, and it looks like there's just a pileup of them kind of just dangling on the side of the bluff, not moving at all, but the wind gave away their position just a little bit. What would you like to do? Anton halts the group and he says, we have company up ahead. Don't know if they're friend or foe. Can I get it look like an ambush? You want me to goose them? Can I get a history check real quick? Yeah. From just Anton? Anybody. Now that he pointed it out. I got nine. Oh no, crap. What about a nature check? Um yeah, I'll give you a I'll yeah, okay. I'll allow it. I got an eleven on that history check. Okay. 18 on nature to see if any creatures do this type of thing. I was going to say, this definitely seems like the behavior of something organized and well-trained to be doing what it's doing. And knowing that you guys are this close to the city itself, for something to be setting up something of an ambush this close, either the city has fallen and this sort of thing is allowed to happen, or perhaps the city themselves have employed people to be doing this. And Norhill, what did you get? An 11? Mm-hmm. This Kleeka got a 5, 10, 15. 15 on? Yeah. On what? History. History. Okay, so you two can both tell that this seems typical in the tact of the swordsmen that help uh, protect the lands of Dustwind. So seeing that up there, it doesn't necessarily seem like an ambush so much as a hidden patrol of guards. And so you guys stand there about 50 feet away from them up the hill, standing there looking back up at it. So what would you all like to do now? Probably just the guards of Dustwind. Uh, we should be on our way. The road is safe. And so... Anton just gives a nod and keeps going. I think it just waves as she goes by. Okay. And so with that, as the party continues up the slope uh, on the road adjacent to where those things are, 
Uh, it doesn't seem like they seem to move at all. But as you guys reach the bluff top up here and start to kind of like, you know, crest down and go back into the valley right before Dustwind, you guys can see that behind that canvas, there's like an entire little encampment over here with like 20 or 30 guards that somehow have been utterly quiet back there. And there's like a little outpost set up out here. And amongst the outpost is a stacked up pile of corpses of those strange metal filled half steel vagrants as well as a few Duragar and a gigantic lizard that seems to be saddled as if something rode it at one point. And the whole pileup of them are dead and stacked as if in a way to keep track. And as you guys go over the ledge there, you can see that somebody has like a head guard over here wearing very light chain and everything, the fancy plumed and pointed helmet. As you guys go walking over the ridge and glancing over in their direction, he yells out in a very dust windy kind of dialectic tone. He just yells out and he says, Keep moving. Go. Moving on. So after about an hour or so of travel farther in, you guys reach what could be described as the heart of the city. So what would you guys like to do here? That hour was filled with a deep regret inside Klico that she's riding a horse and not a lizard right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> horse does feel more right now, doesn't it? Riding a big old lizard. And here we are like a punk riding on a dumbass horse. Clearly they have the rare mounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it's all about. But um okay. we're going mount farming, is that what we're saying? Abandoned quest. <laughs> you know what? I'm so done with you guys already. Um so What's the, uh, what's the plan now that you guys have made it into the city? All right, take this opportunity to rest, resupply before we head west and then south. Is there um, anything you think we should get if we're going to be traveling through the Dwarvish lands? Uh, how tough are the mountains to traverse? Oh, your plan is to go up into the mountains? That's definitely that's definitely the harder path to go uh, uh, of all of them, um, but it's not impossible. It's going to be pretty similar to what it was like climbing the Akeratos Mountains, since it's basically just a sister mountain. It'll be a lot like climbing the Keratos Mountains, so be prepared for a climb. Don't get too attached to the horses. Got it. No. <laughs> you, know, you, you raise a good point. We might have to leave them here and proceed on foot. Other than rations, I want to buy some rations. Should we maybe need more of like climbing gear? Uh, yes, that was going to be one thing I'd suggest is climbing kits. Plenty of extra rope. All right. So did you guys want to try to stock up on like general climbing gear or did you want to actually buy like specifically rope? Well, let's see. So climbing kit, I'm pretty sure, is its own thing. Uh, that gives you some uh, I mean, helpful abilities. Guys, I mean, we'll just say that if you guys, you know, fork over enough money, you guys will be able to buy enough, like, beton, hammer, and ropes to, to make a good use of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so uh, the pitons, hammers, ro uh, and ropes as well. So, you know, the whole, the whole kit. Okay. I'll say that if you guys fork over about 25 gold, the entire party will have like a deluxe set 
filled with like 50 piton and like 500 feet of rope and all that stuff. So there's absolutely no question of any difficulties for climbing anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. we'll pay it out at the party. Quick question: How much is a how much gold does how, how many rations can I get for a gold? Uh, Sixteen. Oh shit! Yeah. Because you guys have a level of renown coming into the city, um, they'll probably even give you guys a bit of a discount, or at least the sixteen is the discount rather, like they would normally mark up for this sort of thing. But I'm gonna give him a gold, so I can get sixteen rations. Could you never know? Is it a gold or eight gold? A gold, single gold. Oh, I heard A earlier. I heard oh. as well. What? That's just that's just two rations for one gold. Okay. I was gonna say I'm like, wait, wait hold on a second. Sixteen for one gold. Jeez, um, that's what they get for growing giant food around here. All those gnomish rations really disrupted the market. <laughs> Everybody's just eating weird gnome meals, little gnome lunchables, but. Alrighty. So with that in mind, how long did you guys want to stay in Dustwind before you head out? Uh, Nora was going to want to head out like the very next day, unless people had business. I was going to say... Uh, what time of the day did we arrive in Dustwind? Um, I'll say about midday. Okay. I didn't know if you guys had anything else you wanted to buy. I know there was a lot of complaining before about not being able to purchase certain goods. Yeah. Is there anyone selling potions? We already got two healing potions and they were expensive as fuck. <laughs> In a city that has a lot more economy going on than the uh, city of Glorywake, you guys might be able to pull off a bit of a better deal and maybe buy better stuff, but still, it's it's not going to be um not going to be like night and day difference but sure what did you what did you uh want to purchase a healing potion are you looking to procure a big healing potion or just dinky ones um, hmm. probably the dinky ones okay um there's definitely a few gnomish alchemists out here that are more than well equipped in the marketplace to dole out these kind of potions. It seems like they've got a few racks of them, but these seem to be gnomes that are like outfitted with like plate mail wearing gnomes hanging out with repeater crossbows looking to defend their little marketing spot. So, you know, you're dealing with somebody who moves a lot of money back and forth for their wares. So already there doesn't look like there's a lot of room to haggle as you see. Yeah. Nice loaded crossbow pointed at you, but can um, I, uh, I want to ask him uh, what other potions do you guys have here other than healing potions? He's like, well, usually we're dealing with mercenaries, so a lot of our potions that we've got are sort of built for that kind of line of work. He's like, are you looking for something in particular, something I can possibly outfit you with? Uh, you have anything that would. You know, maybe make me a little less noticeable. And so with that, he lifts an eyebrow and he says, are you talking about something uh, something that maybe you uh, don't really look the same way that you did before? Maybe something you uh, look a little bit more like the spaces in between, if you get what I'm saying? Yeah, like something where you could just look right through me. And he's, he kind of like raises his eyebrows a little bit. And as he does, he says, 
Well, friend, I must warn you, that's not exactly something I'm uh, willing to go doling out for cheap. These sort of things haven't been around a long time, and a lot of the guildsmen over there in the uh, Cordale are not really uh, the kind of people who are willing to go just doling out these potions. So if you are going to buy it, I warn you, it's a steep price that as he looks you up and down a couple times and notices your dirty clothing, I don't know that you've got the, the, uh, the coin for it, sir, with all due respect. Not sure I do either, but doesn't hurt to tell me the price in case I do. He's like, uh, you know, this much coinage, we might be dealing in something like a trade or perhaps some gemstones, but I think we could start the uh, price tag back and forth for maybe, uh, I don't know, five grand, maybe 5,000 gold pieces we're going here. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I think that you were right, and that is uh I'm I'm not that kind of orc. Uh so healing potions, cheap ones. <laughs> What's up? He says, I like the cut of your jib and I like the fact you asked anyway. He says, You're a good man. You look like you're probably friends with a couple of gnomes. But either yeah, way. Just a couple. He says, I'm willing to cut you a deal. Why don't we cut a bargain here? Maybe uh, you buy a few of them. I give you a good discount. How's that sound? I mean, I, I love me a good discount. If you're talking five grand, I'm not going to be able to do that, though. <laughs> How many are you looking to purchase? A pair? Quartet? What are you thinking? A quartet sounds pretty fancy. He says, I'll tell you what. For four of them, 225 We've got a deal. Sold. Perfect. And with that, he holds out his little hand to shake your hand. And as he does, the gnome holding the repeater crossbow in the full plate next to you sneezes and a purple bubble goes flying out of his nose and just splats on the ground and a couple of butterflies flutter out of it. And they both, you both just look over at this guy and he looks back over at you and he just looks right back down at the ground with his crossbow acting like he's still on guard. Shouldn't be uh, sampling the product there, bud. And with that, he looks over at you, and as his mouth opens up, a few pink bubbles come rolling out. I like this guy. And with that, the uh, shopkeep seems to raise an eyebrow at both of you two, and he says, you know, it's hard to find good help around here. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to purchase while we're in the city? Uh, yeah, can I spend two gold for four rations? Sure. I was... Curious if it's like if a potion similar to Friend of the Elves, but something more or less like Friend of the Dwarves existed. But I imagine that would be difficult to find. Yeah, yeah. for what it's worth, uh, judging by the level of magic in this world, those were borderline legendary. <laughs> oh, so much in the okay. tag of like 5,000 a piece. That was some heavy magic right there. That's some like hired assassin espionage right there, man. Okay. It, they didn't even taste good. Which, even thinking back on it now, as you guys think about how powerful those were and how long it lasted, in thinking about the potency of that magic, it occurs to you that that may have actually been something that had been in the camp of like the eyes of Felgur at some point in history. And those may have actually been tools of the trade of assassination. And thinking that you guys just glugged it back before killing an elven king, 
does give a strange sense of irony to think that you guys, you know, tools of the trade, you know? Used as intended. <laughs> and then a hapless dwarf just yelling. He's like, I'm not, he's the Hank Hill of the party. And that's just what it is. Okay. Norhill's looking to kick ass, but he's not going to bend to the will of some yuppie elves. He's just like, the whole party's like, we are elves too. We kneel to the king. Meanwhile, Norhill's like, the hell I am. <laughs> so I'm Norhill Hammerstone. I'm going to kick your ass. But, all right, all that aside, were there any other fun adventures we wanted to go on in the city? Uh, Kligo's going to pick up uh, 10 rations at some point. Damn. So she'll do that. Okay. And then, Can you go visit your dad? And then she, <laughs> Clica would like to go and visit the uh, mage who helped break the sleep spell on her and properly thank them now that we're not like in a big rush. Do you remember the uh, the uh, name? Did we? Did they get a name? This, they was, sure did. this was one of the bad names. <laughs> but it was the name was like. Uh, not important or something. It was like, oh no no, charmed. I'm sure I'm gonna go see after this to talk about the book. See if yeah, he has any was, new books. There was another one with one of those names. I was gonna say I was just listening to that episode the other day. There was charmed. I'm sure and easily forgotten or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, ironically, living up to his name right now. It, it was pretty good because immediately after he got introduced, uh, whoever talked to him next said the wrong name. <laughs> immediately at least he's got a booming job out here in the city i mean could you really ask for more than that yeah it's gonna be true. the major i hire when i take over the orchard I mean, that's no. true that's right. and then we said it was like a trump era decision because that one time that guy did that one spell that helped Kalika, and that's enough to grant him full court wizard status and the guy's like all i cast is this spell that was the joke see look at that we remember things here but anywho yeah, so Kliko's gonna go give them like proper thanks because didn't really have time uh, when it happened, and then go visit Charmed, I'm sure, and see if he has any new books that he's excited to sell. Was Charmed, I'm sure, that strange half goblin man? Yep. Yeah, you can't find him in the grand market when you look around. Oh no. He might just not be that day, or he might be trading in Azkabellum in one of their free markets. It might be in Cordial. It's one of those things where these three have a lot more open trade than Amaroth does. So, yeah, then Click is just going to spend the rest of the day playing in the fountain with kids. Okay. And so I'll say this much that after playing in the fountain with all the little kids, at one point, uh, a strange looking old man comes bumbling down to the fountain over where you're playing with the kiddos. And he seemingly comes to the edge and just plops down sitting where you were hanging out and as you turn around and notice him he looks quite familiar but as if from a dream and as you look back and notice this is the old guy from the library so very long ago now and he gives you an innocent little wave as you look and see that his feet are both completely in the water as well as the bottom halves of his robe like his old foot thingies the uh pant sleeves whatever you call those things pant leg pant leg yeah they're both just dangling in the water but Neither of them look to be wet. And he's just looking over at you and he gives a mild wave. And as he does, people around have just like stopped as if witnessing a murder. And they just see this old guy sitting in the little pool here looking at you waving. 
and everybody is just flabbergasted and people begin to kneel and start to kind of like, I don't know, bow to this man who's just sitting here waving to you as if nothing's going on. Uh, Klika's going to wave back. And he says, how are you, Klika? It has been a while. I've heard many things. Um, yeah, Klika's been good. It's starting to feel very visitation-y right now. <laughs> the public, where everybody can see us. <laughs> She's been, she went on a lot of different adventures with her friends after she woke up. Um, and now we're back in Dustwind, but we're going to be heading over to uh, the Halls of Silver and Steel to help out my friend Nora Hill. And so with that, he uh, gives a couple of nods and he says, Nora Hill, I've heard that name tossed around a lot. Clan Silverstein, I assume? Um, I think that's what he, he mentioned one time when he was wrestling somebody. He shouted something about Silverstein, but it was there was a lot of Dwarvish and we were all really drunk, so I'm not sure. And so with that, he gives a couple of quick nods and he says, Klika, I wish you the best of luck in your journey. I must get going as my presence here is, uh, I think, too much for many. And as you look, there's more people who have just stopped. <laughs> people have climbed out of carriages. Everybody's just kneeling and giving quick signs of bowing and then hopping back in and leaving as quickly as they can. And a few people stop and they say, Lord of the Sands, King of the Wind, Zephyrius Leader. And it's just like, I don't know, he's not even paying attention to any of it. And he just looks over to you and gives a, a gentle nod as his bushy old man eyebrows kind of fluff up. Um, just before you go, um, I got this dagger a while back from some orcs I met in the woods while I was in a barrel. And I think it, it like buzzes whenever I come near Dustwind. Do you know why it does that? He says, it is the way that I know you are near. Many will find you. Many will be your friend. But you will only have one true home, Klika. That blade belongs here. But as long as it's in your hands and guiding your journey, it is rightfully yours. He says. Uh, I call it Flicka. Um, I don't know what its real name is. And so with that, he gives a light chuckle on Chortle. And he says, at one point in time, I believe the original owner called it that too. There's lots of stories with that blade, and it carried many very far, and many have done great deeds with it. Many have done foul deeds, but I think all will be set right with whatever it is that you choose to do. Also, whatever you do, don't fight a red dragon with it. It doesn't work out very well, and it spent a long time amongst red dragons. And you know, red dragons really don't know how to organize gear. For They, they miss the finer points of arranging things by lore and story. Truly, the mythos that they lose in the... And as you notice, more people stop. There's even <laughs> that, like who climbed into the pool of water behind you guys to like kneel in there and just like puts his head into the water level and he's like... Whoa, 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 whoa. And he, you know, goes to say something but gets like... Whoa, 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 right? And with that, the uh, friend of yours stands up rightly quick and he kind of brushes off his robes and as he steps out, you notice he is absolutely dry, leaving behind no trail of anything. And he kind of pulls his cape back a little bit revealing his little dry pant legs and he begins to walk away and many people just follow him in light entourage as he goes and he just heads back towards where the rocky outcropping of the castle proper is like the palace of Dustwind 
And he just seems to go moseying back up that way. I got to get Jarzak close like that. Could you imagine? <laughs> just like dirt repellent, water repellent clothing. <laughs> He'd be so mad. <laughs> but okay. Was there anything else for anybody? I'd like to grab 10 rations as well. All righty. I will say that is quite a lot of poundage of, of food there. So I imagine we're going to have some pretty hefty full backpacks. I'm giving some of them to Anton, who I see. You have to give up. them to the kids. No, I'm, but I'm waiting till we leave the city. Oh, so I guess we're not giving any to the kids. <laughs> Very good. So as the party begins to leave, um, and you guys are heading out through the southern gate after spending an evening here, uh, free of charge for sharing some tales at the tavern and getting your fill of food and whatnot. Um, I think more so the fact that you guys got the free meals and everything is because somebody recognized that Kalika was hanging out with the Lord of Dustwind. And at this point, the guy just assumes you're either some incredibly important diplomat <laughs> or somehow related and with that, he's just scared of you being in his establishment. So he like brings his own personal meal and like offers you his own room and whatnot to accommodate. But I imagine Klika is more than over there after hours, like sweeping up and stuff, giving the guy the biggest anxiety. Like, oh no, it wasn't clean enough. <laughs> she didn't. It wasn't to her taste. It's like <laughs> it's just completely wrong signals. Klika has no idea the harm she's doing to this poor man's mental status. He's just clenching his hands like, oh, <laughs> oh my god. But with that, the um, the party leave in the uh, in the morning before it's way too hot out here in Dustwind. Even in springtime, you can tell the overall temperature is hotter than it was in the winter when you first came through. Um, but as you guys are traveling out and walking by another one of those little sandy patrols on one of the bluffs, a huge gust of wind comes rolling in here from the south. And as it does, Norhill hears on the wind yet again, some voice carrying through the, uh, the wind that in the dwarvish tone echoes his name. Does anybody else speak dwarvish? Anton. Yes. Anton speaks dwarvish. Okay. Anton, can you roll a perception check real quick? Yes. I got a 13. So you hear this in Dwarvish as well. Very lightly on the air, but you hear it almost as if like you didn't hear it. But then as you look over and see Norhill almost like he got hit with a single raindrop and wanted to double check that it was rain and not just a weird like cold skin thing, you all of a sudden notice he recognized it as well. Anson looks for Norhill and he just says, Norhill, did you you hear that? A phantom. Nothing more. We should keep our eyes and heads on the task. Anson just raises his eyebrows like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, that happens a lot more in Anton's career than I think anybody else where Anton just has to go, all righty then. And just kind of fucking keep moving, like, all right. Yeah. 
So with that, the party head west past that intersection, returning back to the cooler spring climbs as the party heads that way for the next day or two. And as you reach that intersection in the hills, um, you have the opportunity to travel uh, directly south, south uh, east to head towards some of the small trickling rivers and streams leading down from Garrett Moore in the Halls of Silver. Um, so with that, uh, it's going to take about two days of travel on horses through the plains to get there. So if you guys would like to offer me some survival checks, that would be grand. Who's on survival? I got an 18, so I guess me. Damn. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so as you guys are traveling through the plains, I do have to ask, what exactly does rest look like as you guys are down here on the doorstep to the mountains of the dwarves? What exactly does like a campsite look like for you guys? Because it's just like rolling hilly plains down here before reaching the huge stony climb. So are there any like like dwarven watchtowers or anything this close to the mountains? No, those are more so in the valley than anything else. The vertical climb is pretty brutal on these once you get past like that first bit, but they've definitely relied on the mountains being rather treacherous as its own defensive form. A lot of the constructions that the dwarves had for those kinds of lookouts were proxy towers like those that were used in the Akeratos Mountain that you guys had gone to in Boltzcrag. But since then, since the dwarves had, you know, kind of retreated to their mountains and kept them to themselves, it's been a lot more like balconies in the mountains that they come looking out of instead. Okay. Uh, well, Norville's going to recommend that we don't take any chances, right? Like uh, fire, the smoke notwithstanding, just the light could potentially be seen for miles by anybody who might be looking for us. And for what it's so, worth, it's warm enough at night that you don't need to necessarily worry about like heat being an issue. But yeah. Yeah, Anton actually agrees with this, just knowing that that giant host of metal constructs and our good old friend, the Heralds of Steel, could be anywhere near here. He'd rather not, he'd rather conserve his power and just try to rest as best as possible. Yeah, and as, and as much as possible, Norhill finds any amount of, like, natural shelter that yeah he can get first even if it's just even if that's just like you know a very minor dip in the ground so sure. that at least we're not directly visible yeah i mean i'll definitely say you can find something of a, of a little bit of like a goalie or a gulch out here somewhere where stronger riverbeds uh used to be and it's kind of dug out as a rut um okay and so you guys can set up a bit of a camp what's the order of the watch i'll go second Third. Norhill last. Okay, so Anton's first. All right, and so the order of the watch goes by pretty easily. On the second, uh, I'm going to need a perception check, though, from Klika. Oh, fuck. I done picked the wrong one. Oh, yeah, that's a zero. Baby, what's up? Come at me. Okay. <laughs> and so with that, it seems like nothing bad happens during the middle of the night. Good. Norhill. Uh, you um, have a very strange experience as you awaken in a very warm bed. Uh, you awaken with sort of a clinging smell of hearth and smoke. And as you wake up, 
and kind of roll to your side really quick. Uh, you look back and forth in a, a strange sense of like, this can't be real and this can't be happening. As it appears that you're in bed with would, your wife, as it is, and you look around the room and see that this is none other than your actual bedroom at home. And as you look back and forth and see your wife laying there asleep, um, what do you do? So uh, Norhill's going to look around and then he's going to sort of flop down into bed. Nothing but a horrible dream. <laughs> yeah, that's a big ass dream. <laughs> pre, uh, you know, pre tour jitters, I assume. And so that um, as you kind of keep saying these things and almost anticipating your wife to wake up, you notice that she does not. Is everything quite all right? It should be time to wake soon anyway. So he's going to grab her shoulder and try to just roll her over. And as you go to roll her over, you can see that she is basically replaced with what could be described as like a stone, like a, like a statue of sorts. Like you can still see that she has like her hair and everything and like the proper figurative form, but it looks like somebody, some master sculptor must have sculpted it all out as if she looks like some sort of horrified visage kind of clung still like that. And as you leap up out of bed in terror over this sort of thing, you run down the hall to your children, children, one child, just the Single boy. child. Yeah. And as you run to his room right across the hall, you look in his room and see in a pile of little dwarvish blocks and toys and construction, little army guys, that there is a child who also looks in a state of fear with his hand kind of held up and like a look of like, you know, terror. He's also stoned to the floor. And as you run to the main area inside your home, you see a stony looking body of your father who seems to be like folded half over the couch as if scrambling to run away from something. And as you look around your little domicile here, hoping for some sort of semblance of some clue as to what we're kind of like, Medusa Gorgon nonsense has gone on to this place. There's a light rapping at the door. Uh, does Norhill have access to any of his weapons? Like he's going to go check where he would store those kinds of things at home. You are in your off-duty, um, comfortable like, bedtime wear. All of your weaponary stuff is likely inside of the barracks where you would keep all your stuff if you're not on duty. Is there like a heavy like pitcher or a tankard or you know some other sort of household object yeah. around that he can grab? Yeah, we'll just say that there's like some strange kind of cudgel that you keep around here for, I don't know, splitting wood or something like that for the hearth. All right, so Norhill's going to grab that. He's going to go over the door and listen. Does the knocking persist? Um, no, it was only that one rapping. You know, very slowly uh, open the door, you know, standing to the side. Okay. And directly before you standing there vacant inside the hallway, echoing with a windy breath in the same way that sounds like what you'd heard carrying on the wind so many times before, you hear the voice of an elderly male dwarf call to you and say your name in the dwarvish dialect yet again. And as you look into the empty space of the doorway, before you stands a ghostly vision of what could be described only as Lord Targor, uh, sorry, yeah, Lord Targor Silverstein, the Lord of the Silver Hall, 
and he stands directly in your doorway and he holds in his hands the Silverstein for which the clan has derived its name and he holds it forward to you and he says, my son, you are needed in the hall. You must make haste. Many have died and many more will die if you do not hurry. Your place is here. We need you. And he holds the silver stein towards you as if asking you to like look into it or sample it or something like that. But for everything you know, culturally speaking about the silver stein, this is a dwarvish relic. Like this thing is maybe not the most potent and powerful device in the world, but it's certainly one that's so rich with lore and history and having been passed hands down by every lord who's run the silver hall and every person who's ever you know claimed any sort of titleship within the silverstein clan it's just it's so rich with history that at this point it's you know its worth is more so in story than in you know potency but he holds it towards you as if offering you to hold it which itself is probably more terrifying with how much this thing weighs in implication rather than like physical weight you know what i'm saying as if this thing could have been an anvil he was handing to you, as if you could hold it. Is there anything in it? As you look into it and you see it's like spectral form, as it comes closer to you, it takes on its perfectly mithril silvery look and you see the dwarvish faces on either side of it with the braids wrapping around, ordaining the bottom and the top. And as he pulls it over towards you, bright golden amber ale sloshes inside of it with a light head of foam kind of emptying over the side of it and he holds it in your direction so norhill's going to take it but he's going to take it like you know kneeling down in you know with it over his head you know sort of more like a cupbearer or a servant would hold it other rather than you know an equal okay and as you grasp for it you are instantly transported at this point to the atrium of fire, which as you know, as a dwarf is sort of the mall and not mall as in like shopping mall, but like this giant social gathering place directly beneath the valley between both halls, silver and steel. And as you sit here, you see that there are vast, like, like just piles of rust and scrapped metal and like torn asunder, like limbs and body parts here. And the ghostly figure of the Lord stands before you holding the cup still, but like passing it over to your hands. And as you take the weight into your hands, he says, I honor thee with the title, last standing in the hall of silver, Lord Hammerstone. And you jerk awake in a huff and a puff, realizing there is no, no mug in your hands. And I believe, um, yeah, Jarzak is probably waking you now for your turn on watch and you leap forward with a cold sweat. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey, everybody. It's the young Grognar here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.